Welcome to Scholastic Reads, our podcast about books, authors, and the joy and power of reading. I'm your host, Suzanne McCabe, Editor-at-Large at Scholastic. Thank you for joining us. When Akim Aliou was a young boy, he and his family moved to Canada. His parents wanted a better life for their two sons. Akim's father is Nigerian and his mother Ukrainian. Whether they lived in Ukraine, Nigeria, or Canada, the family faced discrimination and bigotry. Things didn't improve when Akim developed a love of ice hockey. Money was tight, but his parents did everything they could to get him the equipment and training he needed. Akim made it all the way to the National Hockey League, but he faced racism there too. He's now speaking out about it in the hope that a new generation of young athletes doesn't have to endure the brutality that he did. Today, we'll talk about his brand new graphic novel, Dreamer. The book is honest, courageous, and pretty much like a punch in the gut. Co-written by Akeem and Greg Anderson Elysee, the book is illustrated by Karen De La Vega and published by Scholastic Graphics and Kaepernick Publishing. I'm delighted to welcome author, activist, and athlete Akeem Aliou to the podcast. He's joining us from his home in Canada. Hi, Akeem. Welcome to the program. So nice to be here. I'm excited to have a little chat with you. Thank you for having me. Absolutely. Please tell our listeners about Dreamer and how it reflects your own unique coming of age story. The whole goal around doing this book was just to inspire the next generation of, of kids that look like me, black and brown kids but also at the same time, the kids that are socioeconomically disadvantaged. My story is one that had a lot of trials and tribulations, but I also learned a lot through my journey. And I think it's made me the person that I am today. Seeing my parents' resilience for decades has uh, definitely worn off on me and in a positive way. And just the things that I saw before the age of 10, living in three different continents, not speaking the language, moving to Canada, trying to get accustomed in a game that I never really felt comfortable with. And then obviously, even once getting into the game, always feeling different, may it be the way you look, the way you talk. Obviously, my parents didn't have much financially to to provide for me. So it just felt like I was always trying to find my way, which I didn't understand at the time. I always just felt different, but I didn't really understand what was going on until I probably even got into my mid-20s, where I really started to get a grasp of kind of how society works and, and, and different and subconscious biases and different things like that. So to answer your question, it's just a book to inspire people that are going through tough times and to know that anything is possible. I'm a kid that's born in Africa that ended up making it to the NHL. So I want to use those lessons to be able to allow kids to continue to push on even when, th- when things are difficult. Could you tell us a little bit about that story from the time of being born in Africa to moving to Canada with your family and taking up hockey? It's a different story, definitely, than I would say all the kids that play hockey, especially in Canada and the U.S. I was born in Africa. My parents met on a, my dad was on a half scholastic, half track scholarship and met at the University of Kiev, 
had my brother in Kiev in 83 and then ended up moving back to Nigeria where I was born in 89. It was just one of those things where I seen the way my mom was treated, being one of the only white women in a village in Africa. Then I saw the way my dad was treated being in the Soviet Union at the time in the late 70s, early 80s, being one of the only black people at the time. And those lessons, seeing the way police treated him, just his everyday encounters with folks, those lessons stick with you as a, as a child. And then, I mean, the biggest reason why we ended up moving here was because my parents obviously didn't feel that there was a life for us there, something that we could do to be successful. There wasn't much opportunity, especially for black children. So they brought us here to start a new and better life. But obviously those challenges that they face coming here of financially struggling were very prevalent. And but they always thought it was worth it. And I'm forever grateful to them for bringing me here and giving me the opportunities and same with my brother, because I wouldn't be here without them and telling the story. Tell us a little bit about the first set of skates you got and how that launched you into your life as a hockey player. It was one of those things where I came here and everywhere I looked, it was hockey, TVs, billboards, commercials, all my friends were playing it. And I was like, I want to try this. And my parents were like, hockey? Like, what are you talking about? My parents didn't see a hockey rink until they were in their mid-40s in Canada. And I just continued to beg and beg and say, hey, I want to play. Like, I'm feeling left out that I'm not playing it. So quickly, when my parents agreed to give me an opportunity to play, I didn't get a full set of equipment. I just got skates. But we realized how expensive it was. So I ended up getting a $10 pair of skates at a, at a garage sale not too far away. And they were all leather skates that I still have today. To be honest, it's not that long ago. Like all leather skates were maybe in the 30s and 40s, definitely not in the early 2000s. But it was one of those things that it, it sparked my love for the game, just getting out out there and just feeling the what it's what it's like to be on the ice. There's no there's no better feeling, and I've carried that throughout. Hockey's my happy place through all the things that I go through, either mentally or physically. When I'm on the ice, you forget everything, and you're so zone, zoned in. And it's my passion, and it's my love, and I'm glad I got those $10 pair of skates because, like I said, they gave me an opportunity to, to be where I am today. You had amazing success in the rink. And then out of the rink, there were some really rough experiences. You experienced racism in a way that's just pretty gut-wrenching and shocking to see in the graphic novel. Could you talk about how those experiences affected you? They were very difficult. I mean, starting at such an early age, at uh, 11, 12 years old, and hearing the N-word being hurled at you and not being able to do anything about it. And I think the hardest thing about it was just never, ever playing with anybody else that looked like me. I always say it in my 12 years that I played professionally. I played with one other player of color. It's one of those things where you there's not really anybody to turn to that you can have a conversation with that would understand what you're going through. But going from that through, through, through the hazing incident in Windsor, was extremely difficult and obviously into the professional ranks where I had my um, incident pros. It was one of those things that like obviously shape you as a person. And what I struggled with the most is just not being able to speak on it just because of the culture of silence in the game and how few people have control and can navigate your career. So I think that, like I said, that culture of silence is something that I wanted to break. And the reason why I did do it is because I felt that I've accomplished what I wanted to accomplish in playing in the National Hockey League, but I just knew of a lot of other kids that maybe wouldn't have the same opportunity as me and, and their careers would be cut short because of certain individuals and what they say to them. So I wanted to look at it in a different, in a different scope that not, not about myself, but what is this going to do for the next generation if I speak out on these issues and 
try to put a stop to them. And it's been extremely difficult taking that on in a sport that's predominantly white. But I think it's really important. There's a lot of kids that look like me and come from the areas that I come from that also deserve an opportunity and deserve not to be excluded from our game. So this work is definitely bigger than me, but I definitely think that there's a lot of dark days, to be completely honest with you. And definitely it's difficult, but it also shapes you into the person that I am. And now a lot of the issues that I go through aren't as, as big of a deal just because of everything that I've gone through in the past. For our listeners who may not know, there was language that was horrific and also violence. You had teeth knocked out. Is that right? Yeah, I had my uh, pretty much my whole upper row and, and a few of my lower row teeth. I got cross-checked in the mouth. This was on purpose. Yeah, I mean, obviously, it was there are unfortunate incidents that that happened, but I think everything happens for a reason. And I guess that happened for me to be able to come out with my story and, and be able to tell it and to be able to tell it on a national scale and create a lot of change within the game since there's been a lot of policy that's been changed around hazing. Since I came out with my story around the coach calling me an N-word and professional ranks, there's been a lot of movement around diversity and inclusion in that space as well. So it's unfortunate that I had to take the brunt of that and had to have my career cut short, quite honestly. But I think it's going to do a lot of good for, for the next generation. Some people I've read in the news are calling into question the diversity policy by national hockey or people who don't see a need for it. What would you say to those people about the need for diversity and inclusion and making a real effort in the National Hockey League, let's say? I've been very outspoken publicly about the lack of movement and action by the National Hockey League. I say it all the time, they're slow to the dance on every issue. Every league has continued to surpass them. And it's it's one of those things where I think it's morally right to give everybody a fair opportunity. And that's really what we're asking for. And to me, that's not too much to ask for. But at the same time, there's a massive business case to be made in the conversation of diversity and inclusion. And we're seeing all the other sports really embrace this and and and, and use it to promote their leagues to new demographics and new people and, and new places and new cultures. I always said the more people that are interested in your game and want to play the game and want to want to watch the game, that's just going to drive up your revenue. It's 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 great for the sport. But we seem to have some. It's, it, hockey's a really really old boys club that's very difficult to penetrate. And they have that those old archaic thinking around like, hey, we're happy with catering to our elitist group. And it's funny that most people that watch hockey are in their 40s to 50s and predominantly white. And and you see what's going on in places like the GTA, Greater Toronto area, New York City, all the major cities, the demographic is, is, is changing at a rapid pace. Here in Toronto, they're predicting that in the next couple of years, the minorities are going to be the majority and in, in, in our population. And if more than 50% of, of people that are living in your city can't see themselves being a fan of the game or can't see their kids playing the game, your, your numbers are going to struggle in a big way. And little by little, we're, we're climbing down, which is, which is unfortunate. A lot of sports have surpassed us. And even, even soccer is starting to get near us and, and, and get near hockey and, and visibility and viewership and, and, and all those other things. So it's unfortunate that the leaders at the National Hockey League level are not keen on growing the game in the, in the right way. But all we can do is continue to do the work that myself and my organizations do. It's amazing work, Akeem. I really commend you. Uh, it's been such a, a struggle and such a long road. But this book that you've written is so very powerful. Please, if you would, read an excerpt from Dreamer, your new graphic novel. So I'll read a portion of when we decided to move to Canada, which was 
extremely difficult. It broke my heart. Obviously, um, I grew up and all I knew at the time was Kiev, Ukraine. All my friends were there. And I know my brother was even harder for him. The fact that, that he was actually at a little bit of an older age, he was a teen, to leave all his friends. And then at the same time, obviously, my parents, just to start a completely new life and move somewhere with a couple bags and two two young kids. So, so I'll start on page, chapter three, page 46. As you can see, the news hit me like a pillowcase filled with bricks. My mom and dad were obviously happy. They worked hard for this and getting the paperwork came rather swiftly, surprisingly so. Secretly, Edward, my brother, was praying and hoping we'd get denied. So you can imagine his disappointment. I just kept replaying my parents' words in my head. I know this is home, but neither of you has a future here. We need to leave the country for you to be able to succeed and prosper in life. No matter what happens, your mother and I are going to build a better life for the two of you, no matter what. While I was young, yeah, I was able to understand why this needed to happen. It didn't make it hurt any less, though. And then this is my grandpa speaking. Hey, you, come help your dedushka, which is grandpa. Then I said, did going away to Canada mean not spending time with my dedushka? I love my dedushka. Was this going to be my last time on his farm? And that was obviously extremely difficult for me because growing up, my dad was always traveling for work to Britain, to Italy, trying to make ends meet and would leave my brother and I and my mom for sometimes months and years at a time because he was working abroad. And I developed a really close relationship with my grandpa. I mean, so did Edward. And actually, thank, thankfully, he's here now because of obviously everything going on in Ukraine with the war. But our relationship was so close that it was extremely difficult for my brother and myself to leave him, not knowing if we'd ever see him again. So this I can vividly remember, these conversations and landing in Toronto, which was extremely difficult, but it all seemed to, to have worked out for the better. So tell us the chronology. You were born in Africa, in Nigeria, and then moved to Ukraine? Yeah, so I was born in Nigeria in 89, and then just before turning two, I moved to Kiev, Ukraine in 91 and then stayed in uh, Ukraine till 97 before migrating uh, to Canada, September 97. I see. The writing is amazing. And let's look at the illustrations. They're by Karen de la Vega, especially the cover, which is so yeah. striking. Could you describe it for our listeners? Yeah, this is uh, one of my favorite parts of the book because it seems so simple, but there's such a deep story that's told by that cover. And Greg was an unbelievable writer, but Karen was just just so talented, so incredible. So for the listeners, I, I traveled by public transportation to games and practices. So this was very uncommon, especially in hockey, because most kids growing up in hockey are very well off. And I just remember getting off buses all over the city and traveling for two, three hours at a time and hiding because I was so embarrassed of getting off the bus. So other parents and kids didn't see me and think that I was poor. And then there's these little things on the stick there that she was so good at. Everything I had was knock me down equipment and the bag was half ripped. And then the bus in the background, which is so stunning. So there's such a deep story. And then the, the look on my face tells it all where just a kid trying to get by with something that he really loves to do and not always feeling super comfortable, but the love and passion for the game is, is overrides everything. So this one makes me emotional. It, hit, it, it hits me pretty good, puts me back in time, but couldn't be more thankful to the Scholastic team and, and, and Greg and Karen for, for putting this together. I think they did an incredible job telling the story almost through pictures. You don't even need words for the story. It's so good. The story really does pack a wallop. I, I have to say, I highly recommend it, and it's an eye opener. 
What do you hope young readers will take away from the book? Just never giving up. Continue to dream. I mean, it's ironic that I was given that nickname at such an early age. I'm uh, from Nigeria, and so is Hakeem Olajuwon, the Hall of Fame basketball player, and he was called Hakeem the Dream, too. So I got it at, at a very, very early age, but I think my story has really made that word dreamer so much more impactful. And for me, dreaming and, and, and faith is, goes hand in hand because it's really hoping and, and believing in something that you can't yet see. So the only thing that you can really do is put in the work and hope, hope that it happens, and it's, it's faith. Dreaming is obviously the, the, the initial thing that ex- in- inspires you, but faith is what keeps you going through the dark times. So for me, it's, it's one of those things that I just hope kids don't give up on their dreams. Things can be really difficult and it might take you a lot longer than the person beside you to get to where you want to get to. But I always think that putting hard, honest work into it and being passionate about craft will get you to where you want to be. So I just want kids never to give up. That doesn't have to be hockey. That can be in, in, in their school. You can be whatever you want to be. And I just think that there's never a ceiling for your dreams. I would like for you to tell us a little bit about the Hockey Diversity Alliance that you co-founded. I think that's such important work. If you would just tell us about it and what changes you've seen since it started. The Hockey Diversity Alliance and the Time to Dream Foundation, my own personal foundation, we work hand in hand. What we wanted to do was be really intentional about giving back. I think there's a lot of these organizations out there that almost pretend like they want to do good work, but it's what impact, what tangible things are you doing to impact the next generation? So what myself and eight other current and former NHL players did was decided to get together and start grassroots programming. But when I mentioned I wanted to, we wanted to be intentional, we really wanted to get into the underserved communities. In the well-off communities, kids are going to have an opportunity to play, but in the communities that we're in, without us, kids wouldn't be playing hockey. And these are the communities that I grew up in and so did other players. And the city of Toronto has identified them as priority underserved communities. So we go into them and and we provide hockey completely free of cost. We buy all their gear. We cover their ice time, coaching, meals, transportation, everything. And we're we're supporting over 500 kids now. We're only a year and a half in. We're hoping to grow that to the thousands. And I can just see this program, just like things things that I was involved with growing up, completely shaping and changing a life. And giving a kid an opportunity that he would have never dreamed of if it wasn't for this program. So extremely passionate about that. We continue to grow. We have an educational program as well coming out too, just to talk to people about subconscious biases and macroaggressions and and just providing a platform for people of color to be safe in our game. So a lot of work to be done. We're, we're well on our way. We're, we're growing rapidly. We have some incredible corporate sponsors and partnerships. So I just want to grow this thing to as big as we possibly can. One other important point I think you make in the book is that you've clearly gone out of your way. You've done so much activism and spoken up for yourself. But the racist incidents that happened, many people might think, well, it's only a handful of people, but it's the standing around and it's the bystanding and the others not speaking up that does just as much damage in its way. Yeah, definitely. Number one is to debunk the notion that it's just a handful of bad apples. I'm the chairman of the Hockey Diversity Alliance, founder of my my foundation, and I have a staff that work under us that gets, I would say, 10 to 15 emails a day, a day of racial incidents happening all over North America. This morning, I had about seven or eight that were forwarded to me, parents asking for support around what do we do? We're just, we've never, we've never dealt with something like this. My kid wants to quit because of what happened. 
so this is a, a real issue in our game and it and it's constantly happening and on top of that i think a lot of decisions are get made on players of color that are a lot harsher than on other players we see players of color not making as much money in the national hockey league as white players we don't see any players of color or people of color in ownership management coaching in any of those places and for me this is an institutional problem i think it's something that's been ingrained in people for a long time so the notion of it being a few bad apples is is really far from the truth and also people who may want to do the right thing often out of a sense of fear or thinking they're going to stand out too just remain silent which is another huge problem and that's kind of the culture of fear that's built into hockey is is that notion right there of that if i speak out my kid will get blackballed. He won't get the same opportunities. And they're, and they're right in saying that. I've seen it happen a number of times. But at the same time, I think my, my message is that doing right is never wrong. So I know there might be some consequences and repercussions, but that's the only way we call, hold people accountable is by, is by calling them out when, when people are treated unfairly. Well, that seems like a perfect way to wrap up this conversation. Doing right is never wrong. Thank you, Akeem. Thank you so much for having me. This was amazing. My great thanks again to Akeem Aliyu for joining me today. And thank you for listening. To learn more about Dreamer and for other great Black History Month titles for young readers, check the show notes or go to scholastic.com slash podcast. Special thanks to producer Constance Gibbs sound engineer Daniel Jordan, and music composer Lucas Elliott Eberl. I'm Suzanne McCabe. We look forward to sharing more Scholastic Reads next time.